Hello and welcome back to the Tune Lighting Podcast, the podcast where we are attempting to write and record a musical album from scratch in just one single year. I'm Rob Brugglesworth and I'm joined as always by co-host and co and bandmate Jack Edwards. Hey Jack. Hey Rob. How goes it? <laughs> How goes it? It's going good, yeah. It's uh I feel like um I've been making some good progress on the album recently i definitely had a a slight panic that it really did feel like we (laughs) we were only just getting into the well still deciding really what tracks were going on the album and it was starting to cause a little bit of anxiety and panic but i've had a couple of good productive days working on music in the last uh, week or so and uh, i've been getting into a bit more of the mixing side of things already um having to mess around with vocals and different vocal styles and things so yeah i'm feeling uh feeling pretty good about progress to be honest yeah good good i was kind of same i was felt we'd reached a point where we needed to start picking up momentum <laughs> and uh i think we did that we started to get our get our house in order a bit and uh make meaningful steps towards finishing the album i've hit a bit of a wall when i got ill for i've been ill for oh, the past shit, week so yeah. i've not not really done much to, it wasn't coronavirus it turns out so that's <laughs> you know that's something but um that's, that makes it worse well in a way, in a way <laughs> I sort of like you've like been protecting yourself from coronavirus for so long and then you get ill and it's not even that i mean that's I mean, just yeah. cruel apparently <laughs> other diseases still uh still exist just disappointing oh, but um i'm slowly but surely coming out of the other end of it so hopefully well we're in december now by the time this comes out and uh, i mm-hmm. think that'll be a, an important month before the end of the year to really make some progress yeah we'll put the chris we'll put the christmas single on hold this year i think for the bear tax christmas uh single can wait till next year i thought it was going to be a christmas album <laughs> it could be could be release it in april yeah, it's peak time. <laughs> and we'll be the only Christmas album coming out in April, so... I know, it's really... Everyone else is missing a trick. We don't own the market. <laughs> Indeed. Other other progress. I've been, I think I mentioned again a couple of weeks ago, I was having a look at some singing apps and courses to try and see if we could, I could improve my singing. I downloaded this app I found, which is quite good, which you may have heard of. It's called Musician. Y-O-U Zition. Clever. Clever. Yeah. And um yeah, quite a big app. They they started off, I think, with uh, for learning guitar, learning piano. Basically you follow along and play along. But they've got a singing app on there. And um yeah, I've started doing that about fifteen minutes uh, a night where I can. Um and yeah, it's really good. It's it kind of teaches you about really basic stuff but i realized that i never learned the basics so uh, it's probably quite good to start at the start mm. uh breathing techniques and all that kind of jazz you sing along and it fo- it um follows your notes with a little dot on the screen and shows Ooh, you like, hitting like the right notes sing star or yeah it's kind of yeah games. a bit more professional version of sing star i guess and um but at the start as well, it, it helps you find your range. So you sing your lowest note and your highest note, and then it try it transposes everything into your range. So it's quite nice uh, from that point of view. You're not trying to sing a, a song mm, that's not in your key, yeah, or you can handy. transpose things. So yeah, it's cool. Um, I'd uh, I'd recommend it. Yeah, I might check it out. Right onto the main topic of this episode. Um, if you've been listening since the start and you've listened to all the episodes, then firstly, thank you very much. You're amazing. Uh, secondly, um, you'll notice we've done a couple of episodes where we were looking at other existing albums from uh, bands that albums we Albums we didn't write. Albums we didn't write. It was the Albums We Didn't Write series. We looked at uh, Grand Don't Come For Free by The Streets, and we also looked at Origin of Symmetry by Muse, and we picked out 10 things of each of those albums that we liked, and we kind of went through each of those, and we thought... It's been a while since we did one of those and we found them really, uh, really useful. Uh, well, I did anyway. I don't know about you, Jack, but kind of as a way of really breaking down why those albums are great, what makes them great as an mm. album, uh, what make the individual tracks so good. Uh, and it really helped kind of f- hone in on those 
production elements and, and various other things. And we thought, yeah, it'd be cool if we could we'd do another one of those because they were really useful. But when we were thinking about which album to look at, we decided, actually, it turns out me and Jack don't listen to exclusively the same music as one another. There's a Venn diagram where there's there's plenty of albums smack bang in the middle of this lovely Venn diagram. But there's also some albums in the two circles of the Venn diagram as well, outside of the overlap. Um, and well, while off air, we often share albums that we like and kind of send music each other's way. Uh, we thought we'd, um, we'd do something on the podcast. So if this is a bit of a show and tell episode where each of us is going to introduce an album that the other one is not really familiar with. I've taken an album that I really like, one of my favorite albums, uh, and I checked with Jack if he knew it and he said he didn't really. Um, he's aware of it, but not really that in depth. So I'm going to go through five reasons why I think it's so great and and why you should listen to it. And uh, he is going to do the same for another album, which I I'm not aware of, or he thinks I'm not aware of. So will that be interesting if I if I am? <laughs> we will find out. I I, I probably should have cleared this. Um, <laughs> Very confident recording, Jack. To... Uh, well, it's, it's to be honest, it's something I'm sure I probably will have mentioned at some point down the years. Interesting. And it's just whether you kind of went away and um... <laughs> no, I tend to just ignore any any of your advice and just think <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, it's very <laughs> sensible, to be honest. The, uh, I thought it may be something ridiculously left field, like uh, one of the, the Muppets B-side album or something, that, which actually I do lo- I love and listen to on the regular, so <laughs> hope it's not that. Well, there is an album I used to listen to loads called The Smurfs Go Pop, which was basically Smurfs covers of famous like chart songs at the time. <laughs> I did consider that briefly, but I've gone for something... It's, you know, it's not majorly obscure, but it's hopefully something that less people will be aware of. And um, if you if you do know it, then you'll just have to pretend you don't. Okay, that's fine. Right, so the album I have chosen, I wanted to go for something that I think ticks both the boxes of uh, loved it growing up and it has a special place in that way. But also, even listening to it now, I can pick out loads of things, which I think is great about it. So the album I have picked is by the band M83. Um, and I hope it is, M80, it is M83. I don't think I've ever heard him say it, but it's not going to be another Blink-182. Blink-182. Blink yeah. one so, <laughs> but I'm going to go with M83 and not M83. Um, and it's their sixth studio album. It's called Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. was released in 2011 and uh, a little quick background about m83 if you don't know listeners um and jack they were formed in 2001 they're from france a little town in the alps called antibes it's a multi-instrumentalist and producer anthony gonzalez and originally it was with another guy called nicolas fromageau i think that's how you pronounce it uh, it's like cheese and then an AU at the end, from Aju. And uh, they, they were together for the first couple of albums and they were kind of classed as shoegaze band at the start um, when, it was th- when it was those two when they first started out. But Nicholas was uh, only with them for the first couple of albums and uh, after he departed and it was, it was just Anthony Gonzalez left. So M83 now is, is really just him. And uh, yeah, they, after it became just him, it really it took it in a bit of a different direction. And that's where they really found the sound that people that know, are familiar with the band now will kind of associate with them. I mean, I feel like it's one of these bands where they re- he really did kind of up the game with every album, um, added something new and took all the things, I guess, that they learned from albums previously and just got better and better whereas obviously some bands really peak on that second or third album and then drop off i mean yeah. i would say the majority of bands 
Yeah. <laughs> so that's probably probably what we're going to plan to do. Yeah, exactly. Hope so. By the time we get to the sixth album, God, we'll be so old. And it's not just me that thinks this is their best album. It was critically across the board acknowledged as their best album. Got nominated for a Grammy uh, for best alternative album. It was number three in Pitchfork's top albums of 2011. So yeah, it's uh, let's get on to the top five. The first reason I'm going to give for why I think it's so great is that it's a double album epic, um, which, you know, and who doesn't like is, that? Is great. I have a soft spot for double albums when they're done well. Mm. I just think it gives you so much more to to dive into and explore. If it's a band that you love, and you've been, often been waiting a few years for the new album to come out, and if you're given two albums worth of material to get stuck into, it's it's great. Yeah, that's true. Quick, I mean, quantity and quality don't have to be mutually exclusive. Exactly. And it gives you the space um, to kind of be a bit more cinematic in the approach, I'd say. And it's interesting, he kind of set out, Anthony um, set out to, he just said from the start when he when he wanted to make an epic, that was his, uh, he didn't start, he didn't just start making the album as you sometimes hear. And it's just like, oh, I can't drop any of these and tracks. Oh, this is a bit epic. <laughs> yeah. But as in like lengthwise, he wasn't, yeah. he didn't just keep making tracks and then go, well, I can't cut any of these. He started out with the, yeah, the intention of it being this epic. Um, and he cites Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, what, um, yep. a great album and another double album as by Smashing Pumpkins, uh, for anyone that doesn't know as the main inspiration for this album. So he set out to, he wanted to create something like that to be his kind of seminal works that he'd be remembered for. And um, it coincided with a move from France to LA. Uh, and it was, it, he said that he was feeling lonely and kind of, he just turned 30. So similar age to us. He was starting to look back uh, at his childhood kind of, whimsically and nostalgically so the theme of the album is all around that it's reflected in a lot of the the sound which we'll come on to in a bit but um yeah it's i mean everything from the album art is thought through in that way it kind of transports you to the place before you even start listening to it it's got these um sort of neon tones to it so you know straight away it makes you think because it's going to be like an 80s sounding synth heavy type of album um and it's it's got this picture of just of two kids sat on a a uh, sofa in a it's quite quite a kind of simple scene but the that kind of combined with the the lighting that's used on it is i think does a very good job of transporting you to kind of this this place it's kind of like like they're watching tv or or something and or yeah. some window literally or metaphorically into a another world where these neon colors are coming from exactly that's the feeling i got from it yeah so this epic double epic album i mean what that gives you in terms of uh space to play with i guess is yeah it gives you two intros and outros basically two intro which, and outro which tracks I, yeah i love it's for th which is cool one thing i miss about i say miss i didn't live through it but the kind of vinyl era mm. is the fact that you would have two sides to every every record yeah and therefore two chances to start you know start off the album and end the album in a way and and this was made um yeah with vinyl in mind i think he, he, he says and that was that was what feeling he wanted to create and yeah having two intros and outros almost creates this feeling for me of like a like a play or mm. a musical like you've got the interval in the middle and the way that that this album is is set out is very much like that. It kind of you're, you've got an, a track literally called intro <laughs> at the start of the first disc, and then it fades out into the sort of interval at the end, and then back in slowly. And then there's a track called outro at the very end as well. So yeah, it all adds to creating a more cinematic piece of art, which I really like.
I, I like I really like with some albums how you just hit with like a wall of sound and, and a lot of bands do go for um putting a big loud song at the start to really thrust you into the album but I love with this album it's very gently it's got a five minute track to start out which is like properly setting the scene and I think when you've got a double album to play with you can afford to do that not everything exactly. needs to be 100 miles an hour he's essentially introducing elements of the uh, musical ensemble almost uh, throughout the song to mm. build into a crescendo at the start which is really cool the outro and the intro are the, are the same track basically uh, so it very much brings you home um, at the end so that's point number one number two is that it's dreamy and ambient but it's also heavy as hell or insert whatever word you want to say and I, I think few albums I can think of have done it as well as this album it has moments like an intro that you've just heard uh, which is he uses a lot of cathedral type reverb and he probably has I imagine 50 vocal tracks or something just layered and layered and layered so you get this really like ethereal very major key happy nostalgic is a word that he uses a lot and I guess that's the kind of from all the synths and the the 80s vibe that you get but he wanted to create that from as I said with the theme of the album is like looking back and yeah I suppose it's all positive reinforcement as well if you've got the the album cover and the kind of mission statement from the artist then you're in that mindset to begin with exactly the whole album it's a kind of dream, dreamy otherworldly sound that he creates with all these synth layers and lots of pads and stuff which is i really love and definitely something that i'm keen to get into our sound and i think is emerging in our album the use of reverb and echo and delay as well uh big fan of and just just the kind of randomness and intrigue and and texture i guess is that the word that it adds to music but what this album yeah does so great is it, it is so heavy in parts it, i saw one um review that described some of the tracks as synth metal <laughs> it's the drums mainly um that are really hard hitting and they cut through <laughs> getting a sense of what that must be like to uh to hear live yeah what a definitely one of those bands where as soon as i heard the album it's like i need to see this live and i've still never seen them live so um that would be nice one day but this album yeah it's it's definitely got moments like that where it's like wow that would be amazing so yeah I, I love that contrast and and it it makes those uh heavy hitting drum parts so much more epic because they're surrounded by this ethereal reverby synths so pretty cool right number three is and i think particularly relevant to us at the moment as we're thinking about vocals is the way that he uses his vocals in uh, as an instrument and in many different ways uh, throughout the album and uh, it was a real deviation from uh, from previous albums where he was uh, criticized I think in some places where he's actually got quite a good voice and not really using it as expressively perhaps as he could and singing in quite a low register where he's actually got this quite good uh, yeah higher higher range that he can use so on this album he really just let it go and, and went crazy um, but it's not just the use of it there's a lot of, it throws a lot of reverb on it and lyrically I mean it's not just the fact that he's French. It's it's the fact that it's so hidden in the background and and it becomes part of the music much more than a lot of uh, 
a lot of other music which i do quite like it works well with this particular genre i think um and something which i wouldn't be against in kind of almost hiding the vocals to some extent um it, it just uh, it blends together nicely and and isn't quite as at the front of the mix i guess it's more part of the part of the whole scape but also uses a lot of kind of chopped up vocals uh, and adds quite a few interesting effects um as well to the vocals so i mean the one you probably know already the one track that listeners will know already um i'm sure it was the big single off the album midnight city There's loads of little sprinkles of like backing vocals in amongst it all. Of all the times I've heard that song, I don't think I've ever been aware that that little hook was was a vocal thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually his vocal or it's like a sample. Well, either way, I thought, yeah, I thought it was mm. an instrument, like a synth <laughs> for... Now, listening to it now, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like he's enunciating something yeah um, yeah it does sound like a voice but there's definitely other examples throughout the uh throughout the album as well i think in the track wait So I quite like that little scream in the background there. Um, yeah, that's cool. That, that definitely adds something. There's there's plenty of examples throughout the album of kind of using the vocals as an instrument, lots of choral sounds and lots of interesting ways of layering it up to make it just sound even more epic. Because I think that's why they're so prominent on so many songs is they give you that uh, unique tone yeah. that you can't really get from many instruments. And a human element, I guess. Mm. The fourth fourth one out of my five reasons why I love this album um, is the in-between tracks. We've talked about it so often. And it's what having a double album allows you to do. Um, it allows you to create a real cinematic feel with these in-between-y tracks, which I love. Uh, and it's not just little kind of 10-second tracks as well. It's proper like, minute and a half tracks which just yeah create this flow rather than just stop start um and trans make, makes it more of an immersive sonic universe <laughs> nice um so yeah quick example um this track which is comes between track six and eight is called train to pluton uh and it's got some cool kind of foley uh, and little bits of background noise, I guess, of a train which transport you to a, a particular place. the next track it provides this little it's almost like going to see the band live again i think it's um it's those i love those moments when you go to see a band live when uh, my favorite bands and the bands that i think do live performances best are the ones that you know just play a track and then onto the next one they add these little moments of of calm in the storm particularly yeah, for heavier bands i agree with that um especially when you you don't know what's coming obviously with an album track listing you know what's coming but <laughs> yeah if they're maybe 
playing some kind of ambient build-up and then the kind of the realisation when it hits the audience of what the next song's going to be um, when it kind of emerges out of the out of the instrumental interlude is a, is a great thing. Yeah. Creating the dynamics within the album or within a live set, it's, it's really cool. I think, yeah, it just amplifies the next track even more. And yeah, it's a little bit of a breather between tracks, particularly on this album. I think it really is really needed because there's so many tracks in there that are just so epic in terms of how many instruments they've got and how much there is going on that you do kind of need these little bits of uh, of a rest in between tracks i feel it's intense yeah sure okay and reason number five is the blend of the electronic and the traditional something that i am very keen on uh, and hopefully will be reflected in our album as well i think mm-hmm. the sounds are primarily electronic i think it's, it's what you would think of you thought of m83 is the synths and the kind of that uh 80s vibe particularly on this album but it blends together so well that some tracks are very electronic and some elements are very electronic so they've you've got the classic kind of 808 drum sound a lot of the time which immediately transports you to a certain place with the claps and the the type of kick that's very thudding it sounds very electronic it's very on the beat and that's mixed in with some uh traditional standard drum kits uh in some of the tracks even though a lot of the drums sound like they're very heavily compressed which kind of makes them sound a bit more electronic they are still a real kit i think you may have sampled them but i, I think it, it sounds like it's a real kit so he's done a very good job if it is samples and that's just the drums and it's it, it's within the other elements as well so you've got some uh, classical instruments like strings uh, other orchestral elements like flutes and things like that um, which contrast nicely with the very electronic synths So yeah, a great album. You should uh, check it out in its entirety to give it its full uh, I definitely appreciation. Will. It's an hour and 13 minutes long. It's, it's an epic. I'll schedule uh, it in. Yeah, schedule it in. But yes, it, make sure you've not got random turned on. Um, that's a classic mistake <laughs> with the world of Spotify these I days. I wouldn't, wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> I want to buy the vinyl um, of this after listening to it again. Um, Do you have a vinyl player? No, I'm, I'm buying one. I've, I've, uh, I'm going to buy a vinyl player and kind of buy ten or so to start with, anyway, of like my favorite albums of all time, and get them on vinyl. And yeah, I feel like it would be a nice, nice thing to to do. Can't argue with that. Yeah, so that's my uh, that's my album. I uh, hope I've won you over. Uh, now over to you to try and win me over <laughs> with an album of your choice. Thanks very much. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Uh, the album I've chosen can't really think of anything that's that's like it in many ways. Oh, interesting! I have to thank our ex uh, bandmate Mike for introducing uh, me to this this artist and this album specifically. Uh, and the album is called Hades Town by Aeneas Mitchell. No, I have not. Uh, I've heard Mike mention it, uh, but I've never. Sorry, Mike. I've never bothered. I've never bothered to listen. Yeah. <laughs> well, after this, after this, you will. Everybody dresses in clothes so fine. Everybody's pockets are weighted down. Everybody's sipping in rose wine in a gold mine in Hades Town. Way down, Hades Town. Way down, A little bit of background: Anais Mitchell is a singer-songwriter from Vermont, in the oh. US. Uh, this was a fourth album released in 2010. It could be described as a folk opera. Oh, really? Another opera after the streets? Well, it opera. does. It does have some similarities with the streets. Um, nice and some big differences as well. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's the ancient Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice is the basis, but she's placed mm. that in kind of prohibition era. 
uh, times. Right. I was wow. going to say America. It's, it's it's not necessarily America, but there's your concept right there. So it's it's got a narrative. <laughs> what's the? I mean, it's, uh, forgive me, but my like classical knowledge is not. What what's the quick summary of the <laughs> of that story? Yeah, she, I mean, there's there's a few liberties taken with the details, um, but basically, Orpheus is a kind of incredible musician and he's married to Eurydice uh she dies I think in the myth she dies from a snake bite or something I'm not sure that's necessarily the way she goes in this but um mm. she dies Orpheus is distraught but he he does try and make a bargain uh with Hades god of the underworld to go and get her back and eventually he agrees uh he can go down and and uh and retrieve his his uh, dead wife on the condition, but he doesn't yeah. turn round to see if she's following him out of the underworld. It does ring a bell this story, and of course he does. Um, and then she's stuck there forever, and he's you know mournful forevermore, singing, making mm. terrible discordant music. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so there's your basic plot, but it's like I say, it's set in. Um, depression era times um and i'll I'll elaborate on that a bit more in in point one actually but um it is now a famous and much awarded broadway musical yeah i think it was originally intended to be so but um logistically that was hard so uh she you know just recorded it as an album back in 2010 Interesting, yes, to start out with the kind of A almost of a musical, but then make it into an album. It's always going to give it a certain feel. Yeah, and um, the, I think the, the musical version has you know, changed a few more things, padded out a bit more, obviously. You've got to um, pay more attention to the story, like filling in all the little details when it's on a, on a stage because people need to follow what's yeah. going on. But yeah, I think already it's a unique idea it's kind of ancient greece meets 20s america folk you know folk opera um (laughs) and it's it's one of those is this really gonna work um sounds like it shouldn't uh but it does as i'll try and explain cool with the first point point one of the reasons i love it so much it creates a world and I think I've alluded to in previous episodes, I like albums that create their own little worlds. Um, this one very specifically is kind of a a mix, equal parts kind of real and fantasy. The the people of Hades Town are kind of well, they're you know they're not happy, they're deprived of the things that they had in life. But uh, Persephone, wife of Hades, actually runs a speakeasy where people kind of illegally go after hours and instead of booze necessarily, she's kind of offering them things like sunshine and moonlight and things that they, good times and boogie and whatever, um, things that they were deprived uh, since since dying, basically. So maybe I'll play a little clip here from a track called Our Lady of the Underground. I can give you what it is you crave A little something from the good old days I got the wind right here in a jar I got the rain on tap at the bar I got sunshine up on a shelf Allow me to introduce myself Brother, what's my name? My name is Our Lady of the Underground How obvious is the story? You know, how, how much attention do you have to pay from the very start? How quickly are you kind of transported to this world? Um or do you have to do a bit of background reading to to know what you're what it's on about? So yeah, it doesn't it doesn't completely spell out um, the kind of A to B to C to D of what's going on. I think it relies on you having a little bit of prior knowledge of uh, the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. It's more like little vignettes um, of certain points in the story. Having said that, um, there are a few tracks which are mainly for exposition um, and may kind of in more detail explain, set the scene of what's going on. In the epic part one, which is very early on in the album, it's got a line which says, the river Styx is a river of stones, um, 
which as well as being a nice little poetic flourish it kind of literally describes the scene we're in the river sticks being the river in the underworld but um in this case hades has has got everyone building a wall around it and i think the instrumentation of the album reflects this um a lot of the percussion sounds quite rocky in the in the literal sense it sounds like rocks and stones being kind of moved about um put on top of each other i think the the sounds do a good job of painting the physical environment uh, for you king of murder king of bricks the river sticks was a river of stones the haze lay in high and thick with a million hands that were not his own the world that's created is is really immersive and it's really important when you've got such a kind of ambitious concept that you can create a world that's believable and I think this album does that really well and maintains it through its 57 minute runtime. So point number two is that this album has a perfect cast of characters. Now this is one of the other things it shares with the Grand Oak Comfort Free uh, by the streets which we oh, talked yeah. about before uh, various other voice actors effectively come in to play their parts but for the most part that is still Mike Skinner um, being the main kind of protagonist and he's on you know he's on every track in this case it's a real team effort Anais Mitchell herself plays Eurydice and she's in you know five or six of the tracks out of the 20 uh but if the workload is split quite evenly between everyone. Persephone, who I've mentioned, is uh, played by Annie DeFranco. Hades by Greg Brown, who's perfect for a role. He's got an incredibly deep, gravelly voice. <laughs> hey, little songbird, give me a song. I'm a busy man and I can't stay long. I got clients to call. I got orders to fill. Yeah, he, he sounds. He sounds like he would be in a, almost in a musical theatre. That kind of is is very very characterful. That voice. Yeah, and I think a lot of the standout moments in, you know, they're all great. But I think if I had to pick Greg Brown as Hades, is probably my favourite vocal performance um, from the album. Ben Knox Miller plays Hermes. The Hayden Triplets play the Fates. Uh, and Orpheus is played by Justin Vernon of <laughs> Bonnie Bear fame. Nice. And he he's also perfectly cast for that part. He's obviously got a, a heavenly falsetto, um, which is kind of fitting for someone whose music is, you know, can even mm. move for gods themselves. That's cool. I wonder if they... If it... Knew each other, or yeah, I mean, I, she asked him, or who, any idea how, what the relationship is between those? I those believe two. the story is that maybe she was supporting him. I presume a forever, forever ago type era. Yeah, I think she said, you know, backstage one night after she had him in mind for this part, went out and said, "Do you want to be on this album?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> um, and the same with everyone she asked. I think is it is a a really um, great cast of different voices. They've all got their solo songs, but we've also all got duets. The opening song, Wedding Song, is a duet between Orpheus and Eurydice. Lover, tell me if you can Who's gonna buy the wedding bands Time's being what they are Hard and getting harder all the time Lover, when I sing my song All the rivers sing along there's also a duet between Hades and Persephone, a kind of husband and wife back and forth on a track called How Long. And it's not just the, the quality of the voices that, um, that works, but also the different viewpoints, the different perspectives that Anais Mitchell's writing from. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's not something in the music I listen to, that's not something I've come across very often. Yeah, it allows you to do so much more, I guess, lyrically and yeah. and create do more, so much more with the story. That writing from more obviously from different viewpoints, especially using different voices, it's just you know it it 
you're going to get that on the first listen whereas some albums are, are written from other viewpoints but all sang by the same person and maybe it's not immediately obvious the kind of the difference yeah you're not, you're not under any illusions of who's who's speaking at uh, at which point uh so number three is the fact it manages to cram in quite a lot of depth as well as uh breadth so as i mentioned you've got four or five main characters so you obviously get a a decent breadth of um of styles but also it manages to tell um tell the story uh in a way which is you know not just a kind of surface level journey between you know a few uh, a few nice looking or nice sounding vignettes she manages to imbue them with quite a lot of depth um in quite a short space of time hades again is a a decent example he's he's not your pantomime villain but he he sounds world weary He's he's a leader trying to hold his empire together. He's aware of how kind of fickle the emotions of people can be. And he knows that if he gives Let's Orpheus do what he wants, then the um then the whole thing could come down pretty quickly and it sets a dangerous precedent. Give them a peace and they'll take it all. Show them the crack. They'll tear down the wall. Lend them an ear, and the kingdom will fall. The kingdom will fall for a song. Whatever you make of his arguments um, is, is up to you, but it's it's nice to see a, a little bit of that perspective taken, and that extends across most of the themes of the album. Really, effectively, what. What Hades is doing in this version of the myth is um, he's offering Eurydice and many of us like a stability, a kind of a roof over her head, feeding her in exchange for for freedoms because she, you know, she's struggling to get by uh, and she has to make that difficult choice. The song called "When the Chips Are Down," uh, sung by the Fates, the, the Hayden triplets, and it's another catchy line which I really like. Uh, which runs through that song, which says, what are you going to do when the chips are down now that the chips are down? Basically saying, yeah, it's all very well uh, theorizing that in hard times I would make the the right choice for a moral decision. I would, you know, I wouldn't kind of sell myself out or sell someone else out for my own comfort or a survival. But when you're actually faced with that decision, things look a little different. And probably the the centerpiece song is a song called "Why We Build the Wall," which I've I've seen various people cover since. And it's a lot of people thought it was about Trump. Um, and his, <laughs> this his is war with Mexico. Way before Trump, this album. Just, yeah, despite being written and various other kind of international conflicts. Um, and obviously, you know, it wasn't written about those things specifically, but it's clearly that's the, the genius of it. It's kind of universal. It's effectively Hades explaining why he's building this wall and how it's for the people's own good. The chorus of his underlings are singing it back to him. And um, for a second, it sounds like we're making a powerful argument. Um, and it's a really, just a really strong song and it works both within and without the context of the album. What do we have that they should want? My children, my children. What do we have that they should want? What do we have that they should want? We have a wall to work upon. We have work that they have none. And our work is never done. My children, my children. And the war is never won. The enemy is poverty. And the wall. So yeah, it's, it's, it's depth there. 
It's not just kind of a superfluous little flight of fancy. Point number four, the instrumentation of the album. Now, actually, although um, Anais Mitchell wrote the songs, the actual arrangements of the instruments and the orchestration was done by a guy called uh, Michael Chorney. So great credit goes to him. It's kind of based in Americana, rootsy, bluesy, jazzy, country, all, all these different styles, folk. You know, they're not revolutionary. They're all very old styles, but, uh, but actually quite different. And I think maybe that's why they work together because we still we associate them all as being kind of familiar, um, especially familiar with a certain kind of older in early 20th century yeah it would have been weird if it was uh full of synths and uh, yeah definitely futuristic sounding music it, it takes you having listened to the few tracks so far it yeah it takes you to that place definitely yeah and um so there is quite a variety there tracks like way down hades town are chaotic and riotous um and then there's slower tracks flowers is is very folky and subdued wait for me uh, is a, a Justin Vernon track, which is one of my favourites instrumentally. It's really beautiful, but also hesitant, I suppose. It's as uh, Orpheus is, is making his, his way after Eurydice into the underworld. And hound dogs howling round the gate Them dogs will lay down and play dead If you got the bones, if you got the bread But if all you got is your own two legs The instruments do a really good job of of creating a mood and a variety of moods. Even without the lyrics, you would you'd have a good chance of working out what's going on. Towards the end, the kind of tragic finale, it all gets very ominous. Um, I think the penultimate track, Doubt, comes in. It's based on this very uneasy, I think it's cello or some, uh, some string part, which just goes round and round as Orpheus is trying to come back out of the... Uh, the underground. A good, good variety, but at the same time, all kind of held together with these traditional instruments that make it sound like it's part of the same world. Which goes to point number five. As I think I've explained, there's a lot of strong parts, especially in terms of the individual vocalists. All of them, are, all of them are great, but yet the album is uh, greater than some of its parts, and I think that's probably because it's held together by great songwriting, um, and that's always important for any great album. You can have kind of as, as many gimmicks and concepts and yeah. production tricks as you like, but if you if you've got poor songwriting, then it's it's not going to be half as effective. <laughs> Yeah, because I guess there's a danger if you've got such a big, uh, ambitious theme. I can imagine if you, yeah, if you have such a strong concept and you want the story to come across, maybe that gets put on the back burner a bit. So yeah, cool. Yes, indeed. I think it's it will be very easy to do that. It's it's obviously a great achievement. It's a very clever achievement, but it's not it's not too clever. You know, it's not patting itself on the back. It's built, like I say, on on great songs. And the ones who deal the cards are the ones who take the tricks with their hands over their hearts while we play the game they fix. Thanks, Mike, for introducing me to this. <laughs> I, I listen to this album a lot still uh, and still haven't come across anything quite like it. Yeah, it sounds very unique and very intriguing i'm looking forward to checking it out um i'm surprised i've not come across it because i'm a big fan of justin vernon and everything he does obviously has various side projects but uh, it's no it was a complete news to me that he he was uh, he was on it so heavily anyway um yeah it's 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 probably still despite its broadway success a bit of a hidden gem 
Right, well, yeah, there you go. Two new albums, two very different albums. Um, intro- I'm glad I kind of went for my choice. I did have a couple which were kind of, would have been very, not similar, but were kind of more in that realm. I had a couple of ideas that were more folky, more acoustic, more um, more about the lyrics and the storytelling. So Yeah, I think, I think it worked out well. We've got a good, good little spectrum here. So loads of influences going into the album who knows what sort of epic opera <laughs> we all have at the end of we're it g- we're going to struggle <laughs> to f- fit all these influences into our 40 minute vinyl yeah <laughs> into our 12 sided vinyl now so that's it for another episode of the sheen lighting podcast i hope you enjoyed that uh, slightly different episode show and tell um and those very different uh two albums there we, we could have picked from hundreds i'm sure uh from various different genres but um yeah i think those were two fairly uh interesting albums to dissect so i hope you uh, enjoyed it um as always thanks very much if you've been listening since the start or if you've just joined us do feel free to go back and listen to all the uh episodes you've missed uh, although it does make kind of most sense listening to it in order we think but you can just pick out individual episodes if there's something that sounds like it might interest you if you have already left us a review on uh, itunes or on any other podcast uh, app then thank you very much we've seen a few pop up and uh, yeah it's really great helps uh, push us up the rankings and appear in more random searches and stuff Uh, if you've not already then yeah please do give us a rating if you've got the time or um and also subscribe so you get it automatically downloaded every week um now we're on to the sort of mixing stage of the um, project. We're starting to think about mixing. Next week, we've got an interview with a producer uh, who's going to tell us all the mistakes we're probably going to make and all the you know, things to look out for from a professional point of view. So I'm excited about chatting to someone who actually knows what they're doing uh, and hopefully that'll provide some useful insights for anyone else out there who is interested. Mm-hmm.